You are listening to Booch News with Ian Griffin, a podcast all about kombucha. So I'm on the phone today with Lucy George, who is uh, the owner in, of a key estate in, of all places, South Wales, in the Vale of Glamorgan, which is based near Cardiff. And how are you doing, Lucy? Oh, I'm good. Thank you, Ian. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if your weather over there is any better than ours here today. It's, um, yeah, not, not a good one. But then Wales is known for its rain. So, yeah, it's following tradition. <laughs> well, it is. I actually spent a, a week at, in Cheshire at the end of September where I, I grew up in Crewe. And uh, I went on a canal boat for the first time for a week. And the last couple of days, right at the beginning of October, were very wet. So it sounds like the wet weather is continuing, um, which is part of, you know, the climate that you're in. And talking of climate, I mean, I'm just still wrapped. I left England in 1980, so I'm still wrapping my head around the fact there are, there are vineyards now with, you know, the warming weather, climate change. There's apparently now more and more vineyards in England. I had no idea that people uh, like yourselves actually have uh, tea plantations or tea estates because the Vale of Glamorgan is a long way from uh, the Yunnan province of China or the slopes of the Himalayas, which is where most people think of, of tea. So, <laughs> you know, how does it, how, how did, first of all, let's go back to the beginning. I mean, I understand you're on a family farm and uh, how long have you, did you grow up as a farm and, and a farming uh, lifestyle? Is this something you've always done? Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, I grew up with a farm. Uh, my mum and dad actually started it as a, a soft fruit farm with pick your own. Um, so sort of you pick uh, soft fruit, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, cherries, that sort of thing. Uh, we made ice cream as well. And, um, and then, yeah, I sort of finished at university um, and then took the decision uh, sort of a few years later to move back and, and take over. So uh However, finally, that's well over 20 years ago now that um, I took over the farm. And, um, and yeah, so it's, I've, I guess farming's always been in my blood to some extent. Once, once it's there, it's hard to, to leave it behind, I think. Yeah, well, how, how did you transition from strawberries and soft fruit to tea? When I've looked on your Instagram and website, and I guess they're called polytunnels, right? The large uh, sort of plastic-covered, greenhouses which it looks like you the tea plants or the tea bushes are, are planted in there was that uh, an, you know how, how did you hit on the idea of growing tea in Wales of, of tea well um, it was pretty much uh, the business had been uh, quite sizable uh, we had a big farm shop and did quite a lot of fruit sales and and ice cream, um, it just wasn't for me. I wasn't wasn't happy doing what I was doing, um, and just decided to sort of have a change, really. Um, and obviously, I was left with a lot of polytunnels and irrigation infrastructure, um, and no idea what crop to grow, basically, that would sort of fill fill the gap. Um, one of my main considerations was that I was trying to find something that I could grow that would extend the seasonal income of the farm. So that it would just stabilize uh, financial sort of income over the year, basically. Um, and yet, yeah, randomly, one day, thought of tea. Um, at that point, I was still an avid tea bag drinker um, and didn't even know myself if tea could grow in the UK. 
Uh, but I did um, a small bit of research. It was very small at that point and discovered that it had actually been grown successfully in Cornwall and um, in the south of the UK. And also there was a lady who just started growing it up in Scotland. And um, so, yeah, that was as much convincing as I needed, basically. Uh, rather than leave Wales behind, I, I jumped in next day, literally. <laughs> uh, and it looks like, um, as I found on your Instagram, that there's pictures that people should definitely take a look at of the, of the many uh, aisles of the tea plants. Uh, are they called? I guess they're called bushes, right? They're like a shrub or a like a almost yeah, like a privet. That's right. We well, we grow the plants um, very much sort of how you'd see in a traditional uh, tea garden in uh, more traditional tea growing areas. So we grow uh, the plants in a hedge system. Um, most of our plants are in a, a double hedge system, so they're quite a wide spacing um, and really designed for sort of maximum light interception for the plant so we get the sort of biggest yield possible per plant for the the space they take basically so yeah that's the reason they're grown like that um we grow some of our tea in polytunnels and some of it is outdoors in an agroforestry type system so we grow a lot of other fruit crops alongside the tea to help encourage a beneficial microclimate and yeah sort of good biodiversity to for healthy plant growth and, and you start them from seeds, is that correct? You, you took four years or something from the seedlings to the productive plants? <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. I, def- I definitely win the Insanity Award for this because, um, yeah, when I started, it was, it was partly because of I didn't have much money to put into it as a new project, um, especially when I didn't know if it would work or not. So I took the decision to grow from seed. And the other advantage of growing from seed is a tea plant isn't doesn't come genetically true from seed so every single seed is genetically different and um so if we grew from clonal plants like the majority of tea plants in the world are grown from clones if i chose the wrong clone and it didn't like the conditions here we would have lost the entire lot um so the idea of growing from seed was to have a huge genetic diversity to really reduce the risk I guess, of, yeah, plant, planting tea under the, the premise that at least some of them would have tolerated the conditions here. And so there was many varieties of seeds and then you, presumably the most successful ones. And are these, are these, I mean, I don't know, is there a difference between the tea plants? I mean, you get many varieties of tea um, on the market. You know, you've got the green, the white, the black, which I understand is more to do with the how toasted they are, but are there tea, are your tea seeds, the seeds you used from India, from China, or, I mean, how, what, what's the provenance of them? Um, well, provenance-wise, again, to try and get as sort of wide a genetic base as possible, I sourced the seed from anywhere I could. So some came from Nepal, from Georgia, uh, some from Japan, uh, India, a few from China. So it was really quite a broad base. Um, that we imported them from, all from areas that had slightly more extreme climatic conditions. Um, Wales is very much a marginal place for growing tea, so the tea plants are are stressed, (laughs) put it mildly, Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Um, And so, you know, we knew from the outset that a lot of plants wouldn't tolerate the conditions here, and it was just a question of really a game of numbers to keep planting um, tens of thousands of seeds we're talking about here. 
uh, to mm. eventually get to the point that we were left with plants that tolerated the conditions, actually liked the conditions. And um, we're now actually cropping our own seed every year. So we've got second and third generation Welsh born and bred tea plants now, which are absolutely thriving. Mm. Uh, they do actually really like living here now, which is strange um, on one hand. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that, that's the, the basis behind where we source the seed from. Um, I mean, in terms of variety, they, they are all... Camellia sinensis sinensis. So it's a slightly hybridized sinensis um, with a samica, so a slightly larger leaf than a traditional Chinese type. Um, but all tea comes from the same plant. So from mm. this leaf, we can make white, green, black, oolong. Um, it just depends how we process it. So um, as to yeah. which, which, you know, tea it comes right. out and, and I mean, what I have read about tea plantation, uh, the work is quite labor intensive, right? It's not like even picking strawberries or, or uh, apples. I mean, you've got to go through, I think there's multiple flushes, they're called, right? Where you, you pick the top leaves uh, and you see the images from National Geographic or whatever of the people, usually women, and standing in those fields in India and China with the baskets on the back. Is that something you have to do yourself? Do you hire people to when it's time to harvest them? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I wish. Uh, no, we're a very small farm. Um, we've got the, the actual site that we're growing the tea is uh, five acres. Um, and I'm literally running it, the whole place myself uh, with the help of one lady, uh, my, my next door neighbor, actually, who's a retired uh, who helps me out as well. So it's literally just the two of us doing everything. Um, and that's from plant, like picking the seeds, planting the seeds, you know, potting the plants up, planting out, pruning, picking tea, making tea um, through to yeah. the kombucha side as well. So, yeah, we do the whole lot ourselves. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. <laughs> So you don't have many <clears throat> you don't have many uh, uh, much free time by the sound of it. Um, well, I yeah. do I do want to encourage people to go. Actually, before we go any further, we need to make sure that people listening to the podcast, because some will have read it on Booch News, but a number of people will only be tuning into the audio. Uh, to go to your website, can you spell out the website so people know exactly where to go? Yeah, our website, uh, we run under our uh, farm name, which is Peterston Tea. So, uh, yeah, PetersonTea.com. So should be quite easy to find. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. Yeah, and so that's P-E-T-E-R-S-T-O-N-T-E-S, Peterston. That's right. Because I think maybe people would read it as Peterson or something, but it's Peterston. <laughs> Where does the name come from? Is that Was that the name of the farm from... Before. It's actually uh, it's the name of our village. Um, so we've we've pretty much sort of followed a sort of loose tradition with tea gardens, which are generally sort of named after uh, the sort of village where they are, or you know a sort of landmark. Uh, so yeah, we went with Peterston, which is our village name. So it seemed appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And just to wrap up then the tea, I can see as you say, you harvest the leaves, and it depends how the process. So you've got single estate black, toasted green as well as steamed green as three varieties I can see on the website where people can buy the loose tea to make cups of tea. And, but you also, though, and the reason we're talking is this is Booch News, you also have branched out or when did you switch or when did you add kombucha to your, to your products? Because you use um, the, 
as I understand it, the tea leaves that aren't quite at the level that they need to be, the quality for the loose tea, you can use those to make uh, your own kombucha. When did that kick off? Well, it really started, um, we're sort of quite unique as a tea business in that we only sell our own Welsh tea. So we don't import any tea. Um, We're one of very few farms that can actually say that. Um, And alongside that, we don't actually blend any of our batches of tea. So all our batches go out so they really reflect the seasons. And by doing the tea like that, we find that the sort of shoulder season, so very early spring, late autumn, some of the tea just really isn't sort of probably as good a flavour as it could be at other times of, of the year. The sort of peak time, for instance, for black is really around July, early August. Um, although we make black outside of that time, um, it just it hasn't quite got the flavour profile that we, we want to release for single estate loose leaf tea. Um, in addition to that, every time we make tea, there's some broken leaf from production and we only sell whole leaf tea. So uh, it was really a question of trying to come up with a way of using up sort of any tea, like you said, that wasn't quite making the grade. Um, so we started the kombucha last year, um, firstly in bottles as a sort of premium kombucha. Um, it's obviously pretty ex- sort of high-end tea to be using in a kombucha product. Uh, which we we feel really gives it a sort of unique character. It's a very different kombucha. Um, certainly seems to be getting a lot of positive reviews from people. And um, and this year we've also introduced some uh, fruits flavours um, alongside um, using fruit that were grown from the farm. So we don't we still don't bring anything in apart from the sugar mm-hmm. that goes in the kombucha. So yeah, I, I can see the bottles of. I was going to say there's champagne bottles, but they're unusual. I mean, the dark, uh, the dark brown bottles, and the the names are Tost, T-O-S-T, and D-U. Is that are those Welsh terms for? Or yeah, how did you that's come right. It, yeah, it is Welsh. Uh, D, uh, which is is black in Welsh, um, and Tost, which is uh, toasted, basically. Um, so yeah. primarily because obviously it's our toasted green that we do. Um, and and the black tea. Excellent. Yeah. And then in the in the cans, you've got the original kombucha, yuzu kombucha, and then as you say, the fruit. You've got raspberry fig leaf kombucha. And what, that's right. Are those all, yeah. Uh, but it's the same base kombucha, right? It's, it's all produced from your own tea. That's right. We use uh, the black base uh, for the two flavors that we've got at the moment: the yuzu and the raspberry and fig leaf. Um, and we're actually growing oozus on the farm commercially, as as well as the raspberries and, and figs, basically. So, yeah, it really is a sort of pretty unique product from that point of view. Yeah. And, and obviously, on your website that we mentioned, you can go to the shop button and you can order this. How about availability? In, is, can people find this in the shops in Cardiff or around anywhere else? Uh, yeah, we sell the kombucha um, pretty much throughout the country to sort of small independent retailers. Um, we sell um, places like Fortnum and Masons are actually stocking the kombucha and the tea at the moment. Um, so yeah, we've we're pretty much sort of at the capacity of what we can produce tea-wise. Um, so hopefully each year as our tea plants mature, we'll have a bit more tea available so we can gradually expand the kombucha. So. And um, yeah. it's just a, re- a really nice sort of further diversification for us. So it, it adds additional value to sort of surplus tea, if, in effect. Um, 
And yeah, we we feel it does does give a really unique product. Um, we're also in the position that we can actually make tea specifically for the kombucha. So uh, we can potentially roast the tea differently, make sort of specific changes to the tea to bring out different flavour profiles, which is really exciting and yeah, nice position to be in. And, and what was your level of expertise? Obviously, you farming was in your blood, so to speak. You you'd grown the fruits and switching to another um, crop was probably relatively easy. What was your um, knowledge of, of, of fermenting kombucha? Had you been playing with that as a home brewer or did you bring somebody in who kind of gave you the information to do it on a commercial scale? Um, no, it was all self-taught. Uh, pretty much, yeah, I was just brewing at home for a few years and uh, then got to the point that I was sort of, yeah, outgrowing home uh, with, with the kombucha. Um, and it just it was just a natural progression for us. It just seemed to make sense um, to, to try it for the business. And, yeah, straight away we had, you know, great feedback on the product. And um, it went from there. It certainly took a little bit of trial and error, um, scaling up, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, from sort of home, home level to commercial. Um, but we've, we are keeping very small batches, so we don't sort of make it in – in big quantities with a very niche producer. So uh, that helps, I guess. What, what kind of volume? I mean, what, what, are you talking gallons um, in terms of quantity that you produced <laughs> in, a, in a year? It's, um, well, it, per, per batch, we're on about 300 litres a batch. So um, I guess it's, it's a reasonable size, but I guess from a, also a commercial perspective, it's, it's pretty small. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Three, 300 litres a batch. And you're talking a batch, meaning like a typical cycle of whatever it takes, 10 days, 20 days to ferment. That's, that's a batch, is it? And then you... That's then you, right. Or, or, we do, we yeah. do um, a really long ferment. So we're actually on pretty much about five to six weeks uh, for, for each batch to, from start to finish. So. Yeah. And, and what kind of, um, without getting into all that <clears throat> nitty gritty, are you using like the stainless steel fermenting tanks and you have a, obviously you must have a, a space where you're doing this presumably you had farm buildings or facilities on the site there that you could convert both this, this is it the, and um i will the kombucha is now actually where we used to make ice cream so we've we've got a sort of fully hygiene clad production area basically so it's um yeah, it's it's absolutely perfect for the kombucha. It's probably a bit overkill for the kombucha, but it's um, yeah, it's fantastic. We've got room for expansion as well. So um, mm. and yeah, we are we are brewing in in stainless steel. Uh, I did start off originally in in glass bottles, but um, for us, it just became a little bit untenable in terms of numbers of bottles and uh, yeah, just the sort of water use with washing and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, we decided to go down the stainless steel route and haven't looked back, to be honest. We find it a lot easier to, to work. Yeah. So. That's great. Well, it's been um, enlivening to hear this whole story. What kind of reaction have you had? I, I did see um, that uh, people outside the UK won't know this, but I, I, I've seen them. Uh, these two fellas, the hairy bikers, who are, travel around <laughs> talking about different foods, visited you, I guess. I can see a picture of them picking tea, um, wh what kind of reaction have you had from both the media and then people who you've met who, who drink the kombucha? 
Is it, is oh, it we, becoming an acceptable drink in South Wales or still a sort of a minor a minority who appreciate it? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of people who don't know what kombucha is. Um, it's very much a sort of developing market in the UK. And I sort of, I get the impression it's developing slower than people probably thought it was going to. Um, we've, we've had really, really good feedback. And like I said, we're producing sort of as much as we can at the moment for the volume of tea that we've, we've got available to put towards it. And, um, and so now we're in a, a really lucky position from, from that perspective. Um, yeah, it's, I think people like the fact that we're totally different. You know, not only are we growing the tea, um, but we're also growing the fruit to go in it. So it's um, a, yeah, a very different approach to kombucha. And we're certainly sort of the only ones in the UK using British tea. Um, and there's not many people sort of around the world, I don't think, that are using tea that is literally sort of grown, grown on their doorstep, so to speak. So, yeah. And with the rain, you've got no shortage of water either. <laughs> that's very true yeah <laughs> we definitely can't complain on that front although it's, it's one of the things that the tea plants aren't so keen on is, is the amount of rain we get uh, but this, this is one of the beautiful things in growing tea in these conditions because it does stress the tea plants we actually get a much better flavor profile coming through on the tea um, it really accentuates certain characteristics in the tea so uh, we're very lucky from that point of view that it does give us a, a very good quality tea to work with excellent well it's been very interesting fascinating to hear the story of, of tea in uh, the vale of Glamorgan near cardiff and um is, is your um facility if people are are there or, or people listening to this or people who visit uh, wales is it open for tours or are you too busy to sort of have people poking around i know some farms have people who can not pick your own obviously but do you, do you have any yeah. kind of open? <laughs> we, we certainly do. Uh, we run open days and tours and tastings, and you can even come and pick tea and make tea uh, through the summer months. So uh, we generally run those from around May through to September time. Um, this time of year, the, the farm starts sort of looking a bit winter, winterized um, and, yeah, definitely soggy around the edges. So we don't do anything at this time of year, but... Yeah, certainly May through to September, uh, yeah, people can, can come and visit and have a look at sort of what goes into producing tea and, uh, yeah, even the kombucha if they're interested. So, Yeah, well, it's, it's wonderful to have heard this story and good luck growing, uh, growing pieces of tea and, and producing more and more kombucha for people. Oh, I really appreciate that. No, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Booch News. For more about kombucha, please visit boochnews.com.